we are uh, this month going through a series called Stuck. And Stuck is looking at uh, addressing questions that you have brought up and talked about and said, listen, this is an area of my life that I just feel like I get no traction in. So we asked you, what areas of your life do you feel stuck in? And in our opening weekend, we talked to those who feel stuck in uh, the rut of knowing, I feel like I, I know what I should do, but I'm just, I'm just a little bit lazy and I actually haven't done it. And so we kind of addressed that a little bit and talked about mustering up some of that resolve and initiative to kind of move in that direction to get unstuck. Then in week two, we addressed one of the bigger issues that you talked about. And you said, you know what, if I was going to get unstuck, I would need to deal with the, the busyness in my life because I feel like I'm just stuck on this little treadmill running and running and running and running all the time. So Pastor Keith talked about Sabbath and the gift of Sabbath and what that could look like for us if we choose to embrace it. And then last week, Meg and I talked about what does you, what does you do if you feel like you're stuck in the area of relating to God and you just think, I don't know, it just feels stale, it feels dry. And we talked about nine different spiritual pathways that you would want to maybe consider exploring that might be helpful for you in getting unstuck. So today we're going to look at the topics, uh, continue to look at the topics that you brought up uh, for us to address and look into the scriptures, hopefully to see what God uh, might want to say and do in your area, in the area of your life. And we're going to talk about the area of temptation and look a little bit about what that uh, might look for. We're going to look about what does it look like to avoid it? What does it look like uh, with the strength and power of the Holy Spirit to overcome it? So I'm going to pray as we look into uh, God's Word in the book of James this morning. So God, we thank you for the gift of your Word. Your Word is truth to us. It illuminates uh, parts of our lives that need adjusting. And so we come to this place and we ask that you would teach us. We ask that you would speak to us, Holy Spirit, just in that inner place in our lives, that we would know that that's your voice speaking to us and that we would be willing to listen and respond in obedience. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this past weekend, uh, Meg and I celebrated our 14th wedding anniversary and uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, we're becoming a little old couple, we've realized this. So now we've recently taken up a little old uh, couple hobby of playing Scrabble together in the evenings, which I thought was like for 80-year-olds, but it's kind of fun. We play it, we play it on uh, Meg's tablet. So, uh, and as hard as I, uh, it is for me to admit this, because I like to do all of the big point words and triple letters and all of this stuff, Meg consistently beats me at Scrabble. And this is becoming a point of frustration for me. And so one night, not so long ago, as Meg was continuing to distance herself and score from me, uh, as per usual, I went off downstairs in the kitchen, middle of the game, to get a snack. And as I passed by the computer in the family room on the main floor a thought came into my head. The thought was a fleeting one. I thought, I wonder if there are any sites that would give me help for Scrabble words. And uh, so the house was quiet and dark, and I slid into the chair, and I opened up an incognito browser window so that Meg would not also be able to find this site. 
And I could remember what seven letters I had in my tiles. And so I typed in my seven letters to the Scrabble help site, and turns out there were three or four sites that were very helpful in getting me some really good words. And so uh, my eyes lingered on each one, and I carefully memorized them. I could kind of picture in my mind the board as to where I could put my seven letters and lay down the perfect word. And so I closed up the browser on the computer, and I carefully put everything back on the desk just like it was before so no one would know I was there. And I sauntered back upstairs acting very natural and casual, with my snack in my hand and my dirty little secret words as if nothing out of the ordinary had happened. And I casually picked up the tablet on my turn and I looked at it and I pretended to fumble with my letters a bit and then I laid down all seven of my letters for 72 points. (laughs) And I, I did it so casually, I thought anyways, as if I had just thought of it on the spot. Oh, that this word would, uh, would come out of my brain. But the challenge is, being near, married for 14 years, Meg knows that I'm not that smart. <laughs> and so she suspected something was up, and she began to ask a little bit about where I got this wonderful word. And I gave some answer, and so she confronted me directly, and I was defensive and dismissive at first, but I kind of knew that the game was up. And so I confessed I had been caught red-lettered in a, word, a web of Scrabble secrecy and lies. And I'm thinking of starting an online support group now. Hello, my name is Brad, and I cheat at Scrabble. And now, whenever I have the tablet a little bit too long, or I decide that I'm hungry mid-game for a legitimate reason, Meg is very suspicious and usually follows me downstairs to make sure that I will not wander into this den of temptation again that I had found in helping me with Scrabble. Well, I mean, you think to yourself, it's just Scrabble. It's very innocuous. It's very innocent. Uh, And that description, though, might have sounded a little bit too familiar. And if it did, you'll know, like me, that this kind of cycle can repeat itself in almost any area of our lives. Sometimes temptation comes to us in very simple forms. Should I give in to the desire to push the giant button on the wall or eat the forbidden apple? But sometimes, and for a lot of us, that cycle is much more sophisticated. It's much more multi-layered. It has much more history in our lives and in our inner world. And it can be much more sinister and more entrenched. In some of us, maybe most of us, there's things that have a hold of our lives. And that cycle begins to repeat itself over and over and over again. Sometimes we're not even aware that these things have a hold in our lives. And sometimes we're not aware of the devastating and far-reaching consequences that these things can have. We're stuck. We're stuck in a cycle of temptation. And in the Bible, in the book of James, the writer speaks to this very powerfully. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me there or go there on your smartphone. Uh, You can download uversion.com or I'm going to read it. It's going to be up on the side screens here. And I'm going to read James chapter 1, verses 12 to 15 uh, from the New Living Translation. So this is what the writer 
of the book of James says about temptation. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you're being tempted, don't say God is tempting me. God never tempts, is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us, and they drag us away. And these desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. And then he finishes in verse 16, says, so don't be misled, don't be naive about this. One of the things that strikes me about this text is not necessarily the negative side of the cycle. The thing that strikes me is in verse 12, where God holds out a promise and says, no matter how deeply you are entrenched in this cycle, if you patiently endure in the strength that I give you, no matter how deeply entrenched you are in that hurt, that habit, or that hang-up, it is possible for you to resist and to receive God's blessing. But in order to understand what that might look like, we have to understand and explore what gets us into these messes in the first place. What gets you and I stuck? And what is that repetitive and deadly temptation cycle looks like? So the first thing the Bible is clear on is the source of temptation. Temptation exists in your life and mine, not because God has put you on this earth and has put up some kind of cosmic pass-fail test. He has not put you in a room with a giant button on the wall and told you not to push it, and he's just waiting to see how long you can hold out and how your willpower you know, will do in resisting temptation. James 1 to 14 reminds us there's actually a cycle to temptation, the way it plays itself out. Because temptation begins not where somewhere way out there that someone else is tempting me. James says temptation begins in here and begins in here. It begins in my head and in my heart. It begins with, James says, our own desires. Stage one, our own desires. It begins not actually even when I sit down at the computer to find my secret Scrabble letters. It begins before that. It begins with my unhealthy preoccupation with winning. My desire to be smart, to use big words, to be seen as someone who's thoughtful and articulate and a well-educated person. In this first cycle, this first step in the cycle of temptation, those desires that live deeply in my heart and in your heart begin to dance with opportunity as it presents itself. Sometimes in healthy ways, sometimes in deeply unhealthy ways. Some of the desires of your hearts and my hearts are good, and they are wholesome and right, and we want to nurture those. Some of them are dark and twisted and maligned, and they need to be managed and controlled and rejected. But this brings up an interesting question for us to wrestle with about this cycle of temptation. And that is, is it a sin to be tempted? When when you cross the line, so to speak, what's actually happening 
in those scenarios. And I think here it's helpful for us to look at two biblical case studies. One is way back. James is towards the end of the Bible. The the first case study is way back at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3. And it's the text that's often used to portray temptation, this forbidden fruit that was in the Garden of Eden, our first family, Adam and Eve. And so in Genesis chapter 3, you may remember a shrewd serpent engages in conversation with Eve, trying to move her along or nudge her along in this cycle of temptation. And if you read carefully, you notice that what the serpent does masterfully is he calls out to those desires and just kind of fans them and nurtures them along into flame. And he awakens those desires. Don't you want to be like God? Don't you want to have knowledge? Don't you want to have authority? These would be good things for you to have. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, it says, the woman was convinced her desires She wanted, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, the wisdom that it would give her. She saw it. It wasn't a sin for her to see it. But she wanted it. The desires of her heart were awakened towards it and what it would give to her. There's a step described here. The temptation exists. She hasn't at some point allowed for it to take up mental real estate. But then along comes those desires and they're fanned into flame. And then she wants it and begins to act in it. The second case study here that we can examine is Jesus. The Bible describes Jesus in his earthly life as perfect and without sin. So he never gave into a temptation cycle, but certainly he was tempted In Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus was tempted. And again, what you notice in Matthew chapter 4 is the devil is trying to do the exact same thing he did in Genesis chapter 3. He's trying to awaken those desires that would lead Jesus to actions that would cause him to sin. But if Jesus was tempted, it cannot be a sin for you and I to be tempted. Because Jesus, the scripture says, was tempted in every way that we are, yet was without sin. So, we learn from these two case studies, it's not a sin to be tempted, but we also learn that when something or someone is trying to awaken or stoke the furnace of desire in your life and in mine, that I need to be aware because the cycle of temptation is beginning. Marketers know this. I can't sin in the area of greed in my life if they don't awaken my desire for more. And we'll talk more about breaking this cycle in a few minutes because arresting it here at this stage is critical. Alerting myself and others to the shadow sides of my desires. James 1.14 says temptations, yeah, those come from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. So that's stage one, desire. Now we're into stage two of the temptation cycle, and that is deception. In stage one, I'm moving from something coming to my attention, 
And that as we hit that arrow between stage one of desire and stage two of deception, I'm moving into something called preoccupation. I'm nurturing thinking about it. Enticement is setting in. This is a, uh, like a fishing analogy. The hook is baited, and I'm moving towards it. Only my mind is involved at this point, but if I think on it long enough, I begin to work out careful ways to justify it, and I begin to plan on how I might act it out, whatever that desire is. So I'm moving from opportunity, where I'm just being tempted, to conception and deception. Psychologists tell us that at this stage, beginning to engage in a process known as ritualization. Ritualization is pre-acts that are associated with us ultimately moving further in the cycle of temptation. So let me give you an example uh, from a friend of mine. A friend of mine struggles with sexual addiction, and he says, listen, my ritualization, when, when you're talking about that, Brad, I understand that fully. He says, one of my rituals is I look through the Sunday papers at the ads and the flyers because I know that it's likely that they'll advertise underwear. And apparently you can't sell underwear unless you, you know, show people in underwear that people would need underwear for. So for my friend, his ritual begins there. He, he's been able to identify and specify it and say that's where he goes if he begins to awaken or wants to awaken desire in his heart and in his mind. That lodges an image into his mind that then he begins to nurture further and further and further. And psychologists tell us that there's two types of addictions. There's, um, there may be more, but substance addictions, which we understand fairly well, things around alcohol and drugs and the abuse of prescription medications and other things like this that are physiologically doing things in our body. That This requires in these addictions more and more of that particular substance to be present in our system in order to maintain that same buzz. But there's also, and this is what my friend was isolating for him, there's a process-oriented addiction. With process-oriented addictions... What ends up at the end of the cycle is being released in your, in your physiology as endorphins and dopamine. And the challenge, though, becomes just like substance addictions, process addictions also progress. And so we end up needing more and more and risking more and more in order to get the same experience. The gambler needs to risk more and more in order to get the same rush. The person who wrestles with anger, their outbursts and their fuse become shorter and shorter and shorter and more public, and they don't necessarily anymore care who's watching. The debt-ridden chronic overspender needs to come home with a few more shopping bags this time than last in order to feel that same sense of fulfilledness. And when we reach this stage, we've been deceived and enticed and we're beginning to get dragged away further and further into the cycle of temptation. So now, in James chapter 1, we've moved from desire to deception to the third phase, which is disobedience. We're going to actually do and act this out in some way. 
Desire gives birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow very quickly, it gives birth, James 1.15, to death. And here James sounds a little bit morbid and extreme, and it's tempting for us to think, well, that death, that's just, that's quite strong language. I mean, when I go through that cycle of temptation and I fall into that trap yet again, I don't feel like, I mean, I'm not dying. But here James isn't talking necessarily or primarily about physical death. He's talking about that sense of isolation and alienation that persisting in sinful actions brings into our lives. That sense of shame that takes root and accompanies our choices. That sense of building self-loathing and frustration that you say, I find myself here in this place yet again. After I promised God, after I promised others that I would never let it happen again, after I prayed for strength, here I am again. After we tell ourselves we'll be strong this time, I'm going to be able to stand up to this. Now I find myself racked with guilt and shame Guilt means, you know, those two things I would differentiate between them. Guilt means I feel bad about what I've done. But shame means I'm beginning to feel bad about who I am. And the challenge is that the longer the shame persists, the easier it is to kickstart this cycle again. And the deeper the cycle progresses. And that's what James means when he says, when sin is allowed to grow, when it's given real estate in our lives, it continues to take over real estate. And eventually it gives birth to death. So he's got a very sort of bad news uh, message when it comes to that cycle that feels for many of us all too familiar. So if that's the bad news... In James 1.12, he started with good news. What's the good news? I think the good news is that identifying this cycle can help us explore together how we could go about breaking it in our lives and in the lives of those around us. So let's look together at how we break the cycle of temptation. And as I mentioned before, the first thing is to go back to stage one, that stage of desire, and to work diligently at guarding our desires. In 2 Timothy 2, 22 and 23, Paul is giving advice uh, to a young man, one of his protégés, and he says to Timothy, Timothy, flee youthful lusts and avoid foolish and ignorant disputes because you know that they generate strife. If you know you're prone to being argumentative and getting into word wars where you know you will sin in that, then Timothy, don't even get involved in the discussion, Paul says. If you know that you are prone to sexual temptation, then don't put yourself willingly and knowingly in situations where it will be awakened. In other words, whenever possible, get out. Get out of those places that awaken desire and that you know will feed and stoke that temptation cycle in your life. If you're prone, and you know this about yourself or your family history, that you're prone to have challenges with alcohol, then don't go hang out with your buddies at the pub after the game. If you can't control your metabolism, and if you can't control materialism, 
and the desire to keep up with the people around you, don't buy the home decor magazine. It'll fuel that part of you. If you struggle with sexual addiction, don't pay to add HBO to your TV subscription. Don't put showcase into your cable package. Limit your opportunities to be tempted. Get out of those situations or don't put yourself in those situations where you know desire and opportunity are going to intersect. This is what Jesus is driving at in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. In, in the Lord's Prayer, one of the lines is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And we don't pray this because somehow God is going to lead you or I into places of temptation if we don't. James was clear about that. He says, God doesn't tempt people. So what we're doing when we pray this is we're not saying, God, don't take me into a place like that. We're saying, God, I need your help and your strength not to yield to temptation. I know myself. You know me. And if I'm in places where temptation is present, I'm not that strong. And I may give in to the cycle. So can you please, God, assist me and strengthen me? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And here's a take-home from this section. I want you to write this down or put a note in your smartphone. Uh, You cannot always control your desires, but you can work hard to control the opportunities. This is a quote from Bill Perkins in his excellent book, When Good Men Are Tempted. Uh, He was speaking last fall. A bunch of us went up to North Langley to the Iron Sharpens Iron Men's Conference, and uh, I think he did an uh, excellent job at speaking, and they're hosting that conference again. I hope they invite him back to come and speak. But Bill drives hard at this point and says, you cannot always control your desires, but you do have control over opportunities in your life. So if you know that there's areas that you can control and you willingly choose not to do it, the cycle of temptation is going to be stoked. You need to get out. The second action point to break the cycle of temptation is not only to get out, but to get help. And I want to make a point here about Christian community, an observation that you feel may or may not be fair. You can challenge me on it. this. It seems to me that the church actually often creates an ideal environment for addiction and secrecy because they make all kinds of stuff taboo. And as soon as you make something taboo, it's like putting that giant button on the wall in that picture earlier and saying, don't touch the button. Sometimes when you make something taboo and forbid discussion about it, the more addictive or alluring its potential becomes. One of our core values here at Jericho Ridge is authentic community. And I don't know what other people mean when they say that, but for us, that means, amongst other things, that this is a safe place to discuss things openly, including your struggles and things that you wrestle with. So I'm going to bring the microphone over to Jamie Gleetman, who has very graciously and courageously agreed to share a little bit of her life experience with us this morning. And so, uh, Jamie, would you just let us know, like, what area of your life were you stuck in? Um, Yeah, so it was over 12 years ago now that I found myself overpowered and stuck in a seven-year battle with an eating disorder. And when did you realize that this was 
unmanageable and you weren't going to be able to break this cycle just by kind of trying harder and willpower and all of those things? Um, yeah, for me, it wasn't like one particular moment. Some people talk about like a rock bottom moment. For me, it was kind of just enough is enough. Um, I got to a point where it was just spinning way out of control. It was killing every part of me and it was hurting people I loved, but yet I couldn't stop. So it reached a point where I had to decide to fight like hell or do whatever it took to get better, and it took a lot. Yeah. What do you think, Jamie, you would say to somebody today who is struggling with a habit or a hurt or something that just keeps coming up over and over and over again in their life? Um, yes, this is my favorite question. Um, I would first say you are not alone. Yeah. Even though it probably feels that way, there is hope. God is there in the darkest, mo mo most shameful parts of your life, and he has so much more in store for you. There is a lot of power and shame in the secret, but you are not your hurt, habit, or hang-up. You are a child of God. Reach out and ask for help. Um, start calling God out on some of his promises, because they are endless. Um, these are two of the ones that I clung to during my recovery. John 8:32 and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John 10.10, 10, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, but my purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. Our God is so much bigger, and he will heal you if you let him. Jamie, I want to say thanks for sharing that uh, with us. I know that takes a lot of courage to do, uh, not just sharing your uh, your history, but also for you public speaking. So that's <laughs> I really appreciate you sharing that with us. And uh, yeah, we can thank her for that. And I think that story of wrestling and struggle could be repeated in each life if I brought the microphone around to you and there was a willingness to share I think in order, what Jamie's driving at is in order for that hurt or that habit or that hang-up to lose its power over you, you have to bring it into the light. You have to talk about it. And this is where I think sometimes uh, recovery ministry is has it right, AA and other groups. You get started when you're willing to admit that you're powerless and that you don't have it all together and that you cannot do this on your own. You want to quit wanting or working hard to hide it. You want to put it out on the table and just say, I need help. And so whatever your particular challenge or struggle might be, I want to suggest to you this morning that you will not beat it alone. You're going to need the help of people around you. You're going to need a community of people to hold your feet to the fire, who love you, who have your best interests at heart, James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And then a parallel verse in 1 Peter 5, 5 says, Submit to one another and be clothed in humility. Because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so if you want to be in a place where you are breaking the cycle of temptation, you need to be humble enough to admit and honest enough that you need help. For you, it might look like submitting yourself to regular and ruthless accountability. 
meeting with somebody, talking things through with somebody. I don't know what kind of support that you need. But I know for me, I am one choice away from the first bad choice in a series of choices that would lead to my downfall. So I don't fool around. I don't kid myself that somehow I'm going to just rise above temptation. I love how 1 Corinthians 10 puts this. It says, if you think you're standing strong, yeah, you should be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life, they are no different than what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so you can endure. And this is incredibly good news, friends. The news that Jesus came to bring life, to bring hope, to bring freedom and liberty to those who are held captive, to their own desires, to those who feel like you might feel that just this is an area of your life you will never be able to shake in any way. God is faithful, friends, and he is here by his Holy Spirit this morning. And if you reach out to him, he wants to meet you and show you his mercy and his grace so that you can experience some freedom. In a few minutes, we're going to respond in worship, in song, and our prayer response teams are going to be available. And as, as those people are available at the sides for prayer ministry and for you to go up and talk to about things that are going on in your life, I want those of you who stay in your seats to resist the temptation that you will find to say to yourself, wow, they must be really screwed up if they need that kind of support. I want you to say to yourself, you know what? My temptations are no different than theirs. My life is no different than their life. There's stuff I wrestle with, and I need, I need help with those things. And this might be the time for you this morning when you experience the beginnings of a breakthrough in your life. This might be the time for you when you open your heart up to God and begin to allow him to pour his healing and his grace into your heart. Maybe for you, this is for the very first time, and that's a totally new experience for you at all. And perhaps you've never taken that step of submitting to God. And I want to say, friend, if that's you here today, your ultimate destiny hangs in the balance. And I want to admonish you to take that step. Don't leave here today without talking to somebody and saying, you know what, I need help. I need God in my life. Don't let pride keeping you from make the best decision that you'll ever make. I want you to go to the prayer team, and I want you to talk to them, and they'll walk with you as you open your heart up to God and continue to open your heart up to God. So we conclude our teaching time. We've talked about getting out. We've talked about getting help. But just like Jamie talked about, in her story, the process involves a continuation of staying out. You and I need to begin to recognize that we need to deal with the root causes of some of these issues, not just the behaviors that manifest themselves. We need to do our homework and find out what's driving those desires in our lives, what's causing that shame and that guilt in my life that I'm feeding and nurturing in unhealthy ways that then is manifesting itself in all of these maladaptive behaviors. And so I don't want you to leave here today, friends, without some tools or some ideas. Uh, One of the best ones that I know is called Freedom Sessions. 
And um, we had lined up today actually a story from the directors of the Freedom Session program up at North Langley. Uh, but unfortunately, a family commitment prevented them from being here at the last minute. Uh, but they are going to come by, and we're going to explore that a little bit together. And they start up again in the fall on Wednesday nights. And so you may need to just block Wednesdays off in your calendar in the fall and through into the spring and say, you know what, I need that kind of structured support in these areas of my life. Because the key to getting out of a cycle is when you're strong, that's when you do the preparation work for when you're weak and when you're not strong. And this morning is a good time for you to start tilling that soil and doing that work. So we're going to respond uh, in prayer and in song. And these songs that we've chosen, they speak to our weaknesses. And so they're, they're orchestrated and, and written as prayers. They're prayers that speak to our areas of weakness and failure as individuals and to God's grace and his strength coming into those places in our lives. And so I want you to respond in faith and say, God, I, I don't know if I can believe this song, but I want to want to believe this. I want your Holy Spirit to work in my life and in my heart. I'm going to pray for you as the team comes and as you begin to sing prayers of confession and prayers of celebration. God, I pray for each and every person here, and I start with myself. And God, I, I look in my heart. I know myself. I know the things that uh, are weak areas of weaknesses and sin that can just so easily trip me up and do time and time and time again. And so, Father, I come to you today and say, I need your forgiveness and grace in my life. I cannot, by my own willpower, by great structures, by anything of my own design in my life, I, I don't have the strength to resist. I will fall. I have fallen. I am fallen. And so my first prayer, Father, from my heart and for the heart of each person here this morning is, a, is give us soft hearts of acknowledging our need for you. Acknowledging our failures, our frailties, our weaknesses. I'm going to put you on the spot a bit this morning. And I'm going to ask that if you have never done that, if you have never said, God, I need you in my life. Just with people that have their eyes closed, I'm just going to ask you to stick your hand up and just say, that's me. I've never done that before, but I recognize that I need that. I can't do it on my own. There's no way I'm going to get there. Father, we acknowledge and confess to you that pride lives in each of our hearts. We think we have this covered. We think that sitting here today, we look pretty put together and that we're strong enough. Father, we recognize and acknowledge the gift of your spirit and the gift of community around us. And I pray that you would strengthen us as a community of authenticity, Father. That you would stir up a desire in hearts this morning who have never shared some of the things that are darker 
and that they wrestle with, that you would uh, release your spirit and liberty and authority here in this place today, Father, to us. That you would give us the courage and the boldness to acknowledge our need and our dependence on you, Father. And so I pray that for this place, Jesus, that you'd gift us with liberty. I pray you'd begin to bring freedom into our hearts, Jesus, as we seek you in prayer and as we allow you to do a work of your, by your spirit of just putting your finger on things in our life that need attention. And so for you today, friend, this might look like just spending this time. You don't need to sing just because the words are up on the screen. If there are uh, things that you just want to spend some quiet or private reflective time with God dealing with, then feel free to do that. Nobody's going to bug you or make you do anything. But if you feel like God begins to put his finger on something in your heart and, and in your life, and you just feel like that thought keeps coming up over and over and over and over again, and you're not sure what to do with it, then I want you to just go to the prayer team and response team and just talk to them and say, you know what, I just can't shake that this is something that keeps coming back to me over and over. I don't want, they'll talk it out with you. They'll listen and help you know what God's saying to you about these things. And we would love to pray with and serve you in that way. And so Katie's just over at the far side here, and uh, Curtis is over at the far side here. Meg and Deb are over at the far side here. Uh, Some of our elders team will be available uh, around and at the back if you'd like. And so we just create an environment now where you can respond in whatever way that you feel like God is is speaking to you. And I encourage you, don't chicken out. Have the guts to go and talk to somebody and pray with them about the things that God is speaking to you about. This just may be that act of faith and courage that God chooses to release that blockade in your life and in your heart and in your spirit that has been holding you back and holding you trapped for all of these years. This, this might be your moment, friend. And so I don't want you to miss out on that opportunity in any way. Anything I talk about with you, I'll keep it confidential and pray for you and ask what God would want to say to you about these things.